Let's pray. Oh God, whom we long to know, burning fire within our souls, grant to us the tongues like fire, the sound of rushing wind, your descending Holy Spirit, that in knowing your word, we might know your presence, that in following your ways, we might live in your light. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Reading from the book of Acts in the New Testament, the story of Pentecost, the story of the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. So listen to God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this, the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The story of Pentecost just bristles with spiritual energy and power. It was an experience beyond all imagining. As the disciples sat together in the upper room, a rushing wind and what seemed like tongues of fire fell upon them, and they began speaking in foreign tongues. It was an incredible outward display of power, spiritual power, and those who witnessed it were truly amazed. Imagine being there that day and seeing people hear tongues in your own language when they would have no reason to know it. Whenever I read this passage, I always find it rather humorous that, uh, that there were some who, who uh, 
explained this outward miracle by, by saying that they were all drunk. They all had too much wine. And Peter gets up and says, they can't be drunk. They haven't had too much wine. It's only nine in the morning. You know, it just kind of it just makes me smile every time I, I read that. It's just kind of a nice humorous touch in what is otherwise a very serious account. But as, as impressive as all this was, well, with the speaking in tongues and the wind and the fire and so on, and so on, the, the real demonstration of power came after Pentecost in the changed lives of the disciples. Suddenly, ordinary people were doing very extraordinary things. 120 people in the upper room, before they were hiding behind locked doors, they were fearful. Uh, the risen Jesus appeared to them. The Spirit came upon them, and all of a sudden, they blew the doors off their hinges. They went out in the streets, and they literally turned the world upside down. The world has not been the same since. Then we think of Peter, who just days before had denied even knowing Jesus. He was full of fear. And now he's out preaching to the crowds. In fact, the book of Acts says that 3,000 people were converted in one day. And then we have Peter and John, simple fishermen, speaking before the highest court of the land, the Jewish Sanhedrin, speaking courageously and boldly of their faith in Christ. And this is the very court that was out to uh, put Jesus to death. Then we see committed disciples going out, carrying the gospel into the far corners of the earth, willing to endure pain and hardship and suffering and even martyrdom. We have early disciples who are performing mighty deeds. The, 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 uh, the sick are healed. And suddenly a man who was paralyzed from birth, who would be there every day on the temple steps, begging, all of a sudden now he was walking and he was leaping and praising God. Jesus promised such an infusion of power and strength. You shall be my witnesses, said the Lord, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus gave his disciples a job to do. You shall be my witnesses. You shall testify to me and to my saving work. And then Jesus gives them the power to carry it out the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, we could talk about um, wind, and we could talk about fire, we could use metaphors, we could actually could use water, you know, the flood and so on. But what is this power of the Holy Spirit? I think it's best to describe it this way, that the power of the Holy Spirit is none other than the presence of Jesus Christ in the heart of every believer. Two very young children were playing on the floor. Uh, there were adults at the dinner table. They were just finishing. They were having a conversation. And, and uh, these kids were, what, five years old and three years old. And, and uh, little Lisa uh, got a new gift for her birthday. And it turned out to be a, a nurse's kit, you know, one of those children's nurse's kits. So she opened the kit and she took out the little stethoscope and uh, she wanted Jake to be her patient. So she put the stethoscope over Jake's heart. And she listened very intently, as nurses are supposed to do. And then suddenly she announced, I think there's somebody walking around in there. 
And the adults kind of got a kick out of this. And, uh, but Jake answered matter-of-factly, that must be Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus Christ walks around within the hearts of his people, indwelling them, and puts his limitless power, makes it available to all who put their faith in him. It's power. It's interesting that the Greek word for power is dynamis, from which we get our English words dynamite and dynamic. Christ gives his disciples an explosive kind of energy that enables them to be dynamic ministers of the good news as they, as they go out into the world. They experience strength that they wouldn't otherwise have imagined. So given all this, this, this power that we saw, that we see in the early church, given all this, we can't help but wonder why we modern-day disciples seem to lack some of that same spiritual energy and power. I mean, we read about Pentecost and the Spirit-filled disciples and how they went out and changed the world, and then, and then we look at our own lives and we kind of compare ourselves with them, and then we want to ask, well, what's wrong with us? Why are we not able to accomplish as much as we should for the kingdom of God? The problem is not with the source. There is no shortage of energy from God's side. If the new appliance doesn't work, you normally don't doubt the power supply unless nothing else is working as well. But what do you do? But you check the connections. You make sure you're plugged in. You know, can it be that you and I have a loose spiritual power connection somewhere? Maybe we aren't plugged into the source. So let me suggest a couple of loose connections that may be hindering the flow of God's power into our lives. Could it be the lack of prayer? After Jesus had given the disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit and had ascended to the Father, they returned to Jerusalem, to the upper room, and Scripture says, and they all with one accord devoted themselves to prayer. They were no doubt praying when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Their unity in prayer helped make Pentecost possible. It was prayer that connected them to Jesus Christ, the source of their spiritual energy. It was prayer that enabled the Spirit to work within them and to do such mighty things. Never underestimate the power of prayer. John Killinger, who's a well-known pastor and author, says that prayer is the way we can turn the unlimited resources of God into saving the world around us. When we truly pray, when we open ourselves to God without reservation, it's like turning a valve in the largest dam in the world so the tremendous power that has been embraced behind the dam is suddenly released through the aperture. The valve was controlling, goes shooting forth with incredible energy into the valley below. Killinger says, we are not the power. We do not have to be powerful in ourselves. All we have to do is be an opening and let God do the rest. And I really, I like that analogy because through prayer we become that channel, that opening through which the power of God can come through us. Prayer is kind of like that valve that we turn and all of a sudden we become that opening. And then we go forth to bless the world in Jesus' name and in his power. 
As the letter of James puts it, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its effects, so that the men and women who have accomplished the most for the kingdom of God have above all been people of prayer. They've been connected to their power source. Do you remember the time when the disciples went out to do ministry and uh, they were unable to heal the son of a man who had asked for help? I mean, they failed miserably. They, they couldn't, you know, exercise the demon. And they were puzzled, so they came back to Jesus and said, well, what's wrong? Why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus' answer was simple and direct. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples lacked power because they did not pray. Prayer can give new power to a person, bring new power, new life into their Christian lives, and prayer can bring new life to a church. There's a story about the famous evangelist, Dwight Moody. I don't know if you know that name, but he was the, the uh, Billy Graham of his day, 19th century, 1800s. Uh, he spoke to so many people. Uh, it's amazing. So many people influenced by him. Well, on one occasion, Moody went to preach in a church in London. And there, as he was preaching, he noticed that there was an iciness in the congregation. I mean, it just seemed like, like there was no energy. Uh, he was speaking to a bunch of cold fish. Uh, no response. Not even Moody with his great preaching could melt it. I mean, he was really feeling crummy as, as he was preaching. And uh, it kind of felt like, you know, he totally missed his target after his sermon had ended. But clearly the spirit had not moved. So all afternoon then, Moody dreaded going back to that same congregation to preach the evening service. But something happened in the evening service. Everything seemed different. The atmosphere was totally changed. It began with a look of warmth on a person's face, and it seemed to spread. It was contagious, and, and Moody felt it, and it affected the way that he preached, and he felt like he was in the zone, and he was preaching the Spirit, and the people were responding. You could see it in their, in their eyes. They were sitting on the, on the edge of their pews. There was a great outpouring of Spirit, and afterwards, after worship, the people came streaming out of the aisles, feeling blessed for having been in God's presence. Well, Moody was thrilled. Uh, later, the congregation begged Moody to stay and preach some more because they thought that they were just on the, on the edge of a, of a revival. It was about to break out. But Moody explained he couldn't stay because he had to go to Scotland for another meeting, but he would return. And when he returned from Scotland, he, uh, he learned the answer to his Puzzlement, and, and he was puzzled by why was there such a difference between the morning service and the evening service? But he learned the answer, as I say. Visiting the home of an invalid church member, a member of that church, Moody discovered that she had read of his work and had prayed for months that God would bring spiritual renewal to her church. And that morning, uh, Moody had preached in the church, and the women's sister came home and mentioned that an American named Moody had been the morning speaker, and she was astonished because she didn't know Moody was coming to her very church. And so this, this invalid woman who couldn't get out immediately went into her room. She decided not to have lunch, and she gave herself to the practice of prayer 
all afternoon and into the evening. She struggled with God over the issue of her church's deadness and its need for revival. Well, that one woman, disabled and alone, Moody was convinced, had been responsible for the dramatic change in the evening service. He knew it. Single-handedly, she had brought the Spirit into her church again because she dared to pray like that. And if one person could do that, think of what, what five people could do, or ten people, or a hundred people. So I mentioned Dwight Moody, uh, 1800s, 19th century, one of the greatest uh, evangelists of, of his day, the Billy Graham of the century. But let me tell you now about the greatest preacher of the 19th century, a guy by the name of C.H. Spurgeon. I don't know if you've heard that name. You all really ought to know who he is. Uh, it's not C.H. Sturgeon. It's not the fish or whatever sturgeon is, but... Um, is a sturgeon a mammal or is it a fish? I, I, I just kind of wondered about that. But anyway, I'll have to Google that one. Don't you do it now, though. C.H. Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher of his day. He was English. He was an English Baptist. And he had such influence. He still influences many uh, Christian preachers today. Well known in his day. When he died in 1892, 60,000 people came to give him homage as he lay in, lay in state in his church. And uh, when his funeral parade passed by, 100,000 people lined the streets. He's called, he's called the Prince of Preachers. Anyway, C.H. Spurgeon. Story about him. Five young college students were in London on a Sunday, and so they wanted to hear Spurgeon preach. And while waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who said, Hi there, I'm, we're very glad that you're here. Can I show you around? Let me give you a little bit of a tour. Would you like to see the heating plant of the church? Well, I mean, they were, here to, they were there to, to hear Spurgeon. They weren't interested in the tour of the church, and they certainly weren't interested in the heating plant because it was July and it was hot and... and but he, they didn't want to offend the stranger, and so they said, okay, we'll, we'll go with you. They consented. So the, the young men were taken down the stairway, and a door quietly opened, and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. And the students looked in, and they were surprised to see that there were 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. And softly closing the door, the gentleman in, then introduced himself, and it was none other than, none other than C.H. Spurgeon himself. Could it be that the secret of, well, he would, he would say so, that the secret of his preaching, whatever influence he had, came from the Spirit and it was because people dared to pray, to allow the Spirit to work. Prayer can bring new spiritual energy to a church, and it can bring new spiritual energy to this church. So please, give yourself to concentrated prayer for me, as I have to preach Sunday by Sunday, 
you know, or Tom or, or Jim or whoever is offering the message for the day, pray for the preacher. I know some of you do, but it's just a reminder. Because when you pray that allows the Spirit to work and it allows the Spirit to touch people's hearts in a way that perhaps the Spirit wouldn't. And then pray for the worship service here. You know, pray that, that, that worship service would remain, our worship service would remain strong and dynamic and Christ-centered and God-honoring. Prayers make a difference. Prayer is the heating plant of the church. It's the boiler room. It's the furnace that fuels us. Prayer breathes new power and new life into this fellowship. So please be people of prayer. So we have to ask, ask ourselves, honestly, are we people of prayer? How is our prayer life? Do we pray at all? Maybe there's a loose connection somewhere. But perhaps there's another problem behind our lack of spiritual energy, and that may be the lack of expectation. You and I do not expect God's power to be there when we need it. When Jesus told the disciples to uh, expect the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, they believed him. They went back to Jerusalem to the upper room, as Jesus had asked them to do, to wait for the Spirit. They didn't know exactly how the Holy Spirit would come, but they expected an infusion of power. And that power came to them, and then they went out from there, and they did some pretty amazing things. I mean, literally, as I say, they turned the world upside down. Knowing all the while, as they went forth and to carry the gospel into all the world, knowing all, that all the time that God's power would be there for them. They believed that Jesus, the risen Jesus, would show up when they took the risk of obeying. Despite impossible odds, they dared the humanly impossible, won the world for Jesus Christ, their world. And I think sometimes you and I have trouble believing that that power, that same power actually, is available for you and for me. We tend to forget about it, so we become kind of like the penniless rancher who's got a shack on top of a field underneath of which are thousands of gallons of oil. He's living in poverty, but he doesn't, but he, but he doesn't know how rich he is. We're unaware of the vast resources at our disposal, we, and so we miss so much. And because we don't believe that the spiritual energy is there, because maybe we don't believe that Jesus is really going to show up with his power, we don't dare to do great things. We don't stretch. We don't, we don't do those things that we could only accomplish with God's help. But instead, we stick to our own devices and to our own resources. And, uh, and um, you know, we play it safe all the time. We don't, like I say, we don't stretch our capabilities. And so then we wonder, why is our Christian life so lackluster? Why is it so, such a routine? We haven't dared to do great things for God and for his kingdom because I think we don't really believe that, that he'll give us the ability to do it and that those resources are, are there and, and he puts those things at our disposal. Perhaps our lack of, lack of expectation is a loose connection. So whether it is the lack of prayer or the lack of expectancy, the important thing is that you and I remain connected to our power source. 
As Jesus himself says in John's gospel, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. There's an old Greek myth about a powerful giant by the name of Antaeus. And it was, it was his custom to fight anybody who dared to enter into his territory. And as always, he was the winner. I mean, you know, powerful, people or, powerful people or gods would come in, and they would have a battle, and always Antaeus came up on top. Antaeus would be beaten down to the earth, and every time he got down, he'd come back refreshed and renewed and strengthened every time. He'd always win. He would always win. Well, along came Hercules. And it was Hercules who guessed the secret of the giant's strength. He realized Antaeus's strength and courage came from the earth, for he was the son of the goddess Earth. No wonder every time he went to the ground, he, he became renewed and refreshed. It was, the, it was contact with the earth, the source of his power. So Hercules, being a very smart guy and very strong, grabbed Antaeus and kept him suspended in the air and then slowly began to squeeze the life out of him. And Antaeus was defeated. In the same way, our strength and our spiritual energy comes from being in constant touch with Jesus Christ. When we lose touch with Christ, when we do not abide in him, the life slowly in us ebbs away. Jesus Christ is our power connection. Stay connected to him. Live in him. And let his power flow through you to God's glory. So may it be. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we think about how you, your Holy Spirit came upon the disciples with a rushing wind and with what seemed like tongues of fire, wind and, and fire and and how you move those disciples to do great and mighty things. And, and yet, Lord, we confess that when we compare ourselves with them, we don't always feel the wind or the heat of the fire. And we sometimes do not move as you would have us move. So, Lord, make us astute, more astute in checking our connections that we might be properly connected to you, that your power might flow, flow through us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would, uh, again, commit ourselves to be people of prayer and people of great expectancy, knowing that you want to do great things through us. We surrender ourselves to you without reservations. Lord, we want to be that channel, that opening through which your power can work. So may it be. May we stay open always to you. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.